Broadcasting from Little Hampton, UK, this is the Man Up Podcast. From Sorted Magazine, official sponsor, staggerversary.co.uk. Loading in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This is Steve Legg on the Sorted Magazine Man Up Podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us. On today's show, we hear from comedy heavyweight Tim Vine. He's a writer, actor, comedian and presenter, known for his quickfire puns and his role on the BBC series Not Going Out. He's a super funny guy. I also natter with Andy Hawthorne, the founder and chief executive of the Message Trust and an in-demand international speaker. He was awarded the OPE in 2011 in recognition of his services to young people. Once again, I know I say it every time, but it really is an absolute belter. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show and make sure you tell your mates. Hi, this is Lieutenant Colombo and you are listening to the Man Up Podcast. The most fun you can have without a cigar and a trench coat. All right, I think I've bothered you enough for today. I'll let you go on and listen. Oh, oh, and just one more thing. Enjoy the show. First up, it's the hilarious Tim Vine. He's the fastest joker in town, pun maker supreme, and the current king of one-liners. We're in a marquee backstage and we chat about his career, how to write a good gag, and Postman Pat. Steve Legg brings you the best podcast every single month. It's so great. He's a great guy. No one knows more about great podcasts than me. The features, the interviews, even the adverts. It's a great show. Fantastic. Enjoy the show. Well, would you believe it? Tim Vine's there. Hello, Tim. Yes, it's great, yeah. And it's very relaxed in a lovely marquee with a, with a, with a gentle hum of a generator. Yes. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, stop humming. <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, as, as you know, when you said, uh, would, you, would you interview me? I said, as long as uh, my rider was, uh, was that you would set up a tent, and you've done that, so thank you. Well, uh, we, we, uh, we aim to place Tim. Yes, but it, I mean, so, I'm, uh, I'm normally in a flap, and I literally am. Good. A very large flap over there. <laughs> and there's one behind you as well. There is. Good luck. Just in case. <laughs> anyway, yes. Tim. Yes. Um, I'm going to ask a few geeky questions, if that's okay, because I love it. comedy and we yeah. love you. Well, thank you. I think you probably have the shortest name in comedy. Would this be correct? Well, uh, the only other Ed one Bulls. I can think of. <laughs> it's not really comedy, but he no, almost he's not is. Comedy. Of course, Lee Mack. Uh, is that slightly the same? It's the same, isn't it? Yes, it is the same. Um, it must be. I can. I can think of okay. Ed Byrne. No. Um, Ed. Ed's a good Ed, first uh, name because yeah. it's very Byrne short. Would be the same. It's B Y R N E. No, it's no. It's not. It's turning into episode. Tom. Tom Foolery. No. 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 I wasn't actually. No. I'm just thinking. Tim. Tim Rice. No, it's the same one. He's not. He's not really comedy. No. The reason I mention it. Yes. Why? Twenty-two years ago, I toured with Cannon and Ball. Yes. yes, let's just tot up their letters. No, they're longer. It's <laughs> longer. Bobby Ball. Ball, yeah. yeah. But someone told me, a fellow called Danny Owen, yeah. whose real name is Keith Owen, Right. he said, in the world of show business, it works better having two syllables in your first name and your surname. That certainly was the case it's for Elvis Presley, rhythm. wasn't it? Yeah, yes. he, where did, whatever happened to him. <laughs> Never did anything, did he, Elvis Presley? So I wonder if it's ever been a hindrance being called Tim Vine. Well, as I was saying to Engelbert Humperdinck the other day, um, <laughs> do you know what? I, I, the one thing I do think is quite good for having a short name is when you have a poster, you can make the letters bigger. It's bigger, that's brilliant, isn't it? So if you have one of those... Um, I'm trying to think what size it is would be... What's up from uh, A3? What's the next one up? Uh, A2. Oh yes, of course. Which seems silly, but it goes down, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. What's A one then? That's the next one. A zero. Well, anyway, yeah, okay. And then A zero. Yeah. So if you look, if oh, your name's um, 
uh, I don't know, um, what comes after a zero? One. <laughs> um... But uh, if, for example, which is why, of course, you know Benjamin Netanyahu decided <laughs> never to do comedy, <laughs> because uh, you know they got as far as the uh, the Benjamin, and they thought you know it's taking up too much of the poster. <laughs> it is now, Tim. We've interviewed a lot of comedians on this podcast, right? We friends oh, with, who have you? Friends uh, with comedians, Milton Jones, Paul Corinza, not Milton yet. Right, okay, though, uh, we love Milton Jones, mm. um, and many of them have cited you as the person they love the most. No, seriously, <laughs> and they would love to do your sort of comedy. Comedy, which right. are one-liners, yeah. but these are professional comedians who mm. get groans when they do one-liners. I've seen you live; I've known mm. you for years. Yes. I've never really seen any groans. How do you do puns well, I do one-liners get, without groans? I do get some, but I think there is an. Um, do you know what I think it is partly? Is that if you have, if you're doing uh, something that isn't sort of a pun-based or silly act, and then you just put one in isolation, people then take it oh, on its okay, own. You yeah. know, I think there's an, probably an accumulation to my stuff that is sort of probably helps it you know you're not really you know if you get if you really want to groan them you're going to have to groan every single one of them and that's really going to be tiresome for you so you might as well either laugh or stare at me yes <laughs> <laughs> either is perfectly acceptable and i've noticed it's kind of exhausting watching you because you're laughing the whole time but you seem to and i've not timed it precisely i'm not sure whether it is a science every i don't know 18 20 minutes or so Change one pose, joke every song, 18 minutes oh, uh, a song or well actually sort of. well probably more often than than that i would have to change the pace actually I mean, it, it, when i used to do clubs and i'd be doing 20 minute spots it you, you could you kind of could really just go on and go bang and do and just go bang 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 and um and then have one or two little bits you know i used to take a, a, a prop out my pocket or do something but by and large just go straight for it you know and if you were on last and the whole place was all whipped up it would probably work but doing like an hour and 10 minutes you do have to break it up and now i break up quite a lot actually i I probably have lots of you know i'll pick up a prop or i have a silly little short song or something so it's probably more than one every 18 20 minutes more like one every five probably oh really probably yeah it's it's probably something happens yeah so what makes you laugh or who makes you laugh well um well, friends make me laugh. John Archer, who's a very, very good friend of mine, he is, I mean, he's very, very funny on stage. And if those people who've seen John will know he's very funny on stage. But, um, I mean, if you can imagine such a thing, I think he's <laughs> twice as funny off stage. He really is a funny man. When, when we go on tour, me, John Archer, and um, um, Jobbins, who is our tour manager, the three of us go off. And there's, there's always some moments where John will say this or that, you know. I mean, I think it's partly in his face. <laughs> Yeah, he's got one of those... He's a northern man. Yeah, and he looks like... He does look... He, he looks kind of miserable most of the time. He does look... People assume he's... As one of his sort of bugbears in life is that everyone assumes he's miserable and he's not. He's not. Um, but uh, so he makes me laugh a lot. And then, you know, comics... There's, there's so many comics I love. You know, I, I love comedy, you know, so I... And, and I don't... I'm not one of those people who, who only likes one particular type of comedy. I can really appreciate lots of it. So, so you know, I mean... It'd be easier to name people I didn't like. Who don't you like? <laughs> well, but I'm not going to do that. But, but uh, there are some people who leave me a little bit cold, but then, uh, then uh, probably there may be people who are aimed at a different generation, perhaps, let's put it that way. So, Tim, you mentioned Milton Jones, yeah. who appears on He's panel a shows. Yeah. But you've n- I've never seen you on a panel show. I mean, Milton's very well known. Mock the Week and as a... Yeah, well, Mock the Week... Very well. And it's a similar type of comedy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm slightly frightened of 
panel shows when it's all comics, you know, because I, I, it's you are you imagine Mot the Week, you've got three comics on each team and a comic as the host. So when gaps come up, you're sort of aiming for the same gaps a little bit. So I, that's not entirely my comfort zone. I prefer it when I know I'm the funny one, <laughs> and we all know where we are with that, you know. Um, so I've I, I like uh, doing those sort of uh, panel games where. Like, I mean, I've done Countdown a few times. Not, not Countdown, the Cats Countdown, but the uh, just ordinary Countdown. And I'm in that situation, I'm kind of the one who's yeah. being silly and everyone else is trying to play a word game. And I'm more comfortable with that, you know. So what is secret to writing a good joke? You must well, write do you know, loads of new material each year. It's funny you should say that. And the way you phrased it is fascinating there, Steve. You said, what's the secret to writing a good joke? And do you know what? I don't know. And I said this to Milton the other day. Yeah. I was chatting to him. You know, occasionally we go out and, you know, shoot the breeze. Um, very easy to hit the breeze. <laughs> <laughs> you can see it. You, yes. you know, just shoot straight out of it. But uh, we... Um, and I said, you know, the fact is, I don't know how to write a good joke. If I knew how to write a good joke, I'd write one every single time I put a pen to paper. You've written some classics, though. Yeah, but I've got to write an enormous number of jokes. So I can't write a good one every time. Blimey, I could, if I could do that, then the first hundred jokes I'd write down, there's my new hour. I could do that in a day, you know. How do you write a joke, then? Well, <clears throat> I know how to write a joke. Mm. At least I think, sort of vaguely, know how the structure of jokes work. But I, I think that the quality of, of it, whether it's going to really make everyone laugh, is kind of... Um, that wasn't us, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Someone... It sounded there. like Postman Pat is just... <laughs> who's giving me a lift back to my hotel has arrived. So, uh... In a minute, Pat. Cheers. Um, the <laughs> um, put a window down for the cat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but uh, so I, so I mean, I, I guess you just there's a, there's a structure in, with wordplay. Often you will think perhaps of the uh, punchline and work backwards from okay. that, um, or sometimes you just think of uh, I think of silly things. Like I think of uh, um, in fact, I'd like to do more of the sort of just more like surreal, picturey things. Like I've, I've got a joke where I say I. I saw quite a rare thing the other day I saw a toucan in my garden and then I realised it wasn't a toucan it was a magpie eating a banana <laughs> now something like that it's not, that's not wordplay it's just kind of a bit of how come up with that? well I can't remember coming up with that actually but, but uh, well I suppose it looks a bit I mean I think probably I saw a uh, um, a Arab banana banana. or something yeah I saw something <laughs> Something it looks, like a it looks a bit like a toucan. Oh, so you sort of work, you know. So I mean, if you're you're, you're sort of open to the, the fact that you should be coming up with stuff, yeah. then you know you look around and things occur to you. You know, it's like I saw the other day. Uh, I, 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 I saw a, a, I was in my car and I saw a, a woman go by with a with a pram, and then that that thing of someone leaning into the pram and going, oh, you know, and the handle she was using. I thought to myself that might, might be quite a good sketch if you saw just from the waist up and you saw the handle and then and so you assume it's a pram and someone's leaning down going hello and then it pans out and it's actually a lawnmower <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, so you know, just yeah. sort of visual things kind of those sort of things occur to me as I'm going through life and then at some point I have to sit down and just you know when I'm getting ready for a tour I just have to that's not us I promise it's not us I'm being a minute Pat um, patient yeah he really is sorry well he's got a round to do you know he's got to get up early in the morning <laughs> Because I'm aware how often we speak in colloquialisms. I travel with my mm. friend Jarne, who's from Kolkata, right. and I'm just aware how many that I use. Mm. And I said to him today, you're a site for sore eyes. Yeah, yeah. So if you were putting that into a gag, you would work backwards. Yeah, Can well... I put the, you on the spot? Well, that is one, I, yeah, one I've got, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, conjunctivitis.com, that's a site for sore eyes. So that, yeah, but I mean, um, yeah, so you hear things... And you are right, and it, I don't know whether it's particularly... 
in, in, in an English thing, but we really do have loads of idioms and proverbs and all sorts of yeah. things that. So it must be a nightmare when you, um, if you're coming over from Eastern Europe and learning this language for the first yeah. time, because we think to ourselves, well, you've got a certain number of words in a dictionary, but it's it's much more than that, isn't it? It's all the way we join everything up. There was there was a comic I saw. I, don't know, I think it was a Swedish comic who did a very funny uh, thing talking about the English language, and he said he was talking about. Um, the phrase uh, "easy peasy lemon squeezy," and he said to someone, um, "What what does this mean?" And the person <laughs> said, "It means easy." And he said, "Only in England yes. <laughs> would you come up with yes. easy peasy lemon squeezy." And you mean, I can't remember the name of the comic. I think he's a it was either a German or a Swedish comic. Whoever he is, he's very funny. Look him up. It's not me. Donald Trump here. You're listening to the Man of Podcast with Steve Leg and friends. These guys are all about building bridges between people. What a stupid idea. It's better to build a wall and make Mexico pay for it. Healthy friendships are important. Friends who listen, laugh, challenge, and offer sound counsel. Who has time for that? We do! Why not have a stagiversary? Unite both old and new friends over a day, weekend, or even longer. But this time round, you set the agenda. At Stagiversary, we believe in fun and adventure. But most of all, helping you to create space to rest, refuel and reconnect with the important people in your life. What are you waiting for? Visit staggiversary.co.uk, inquire within and let us do the rest. We're going to be hearing more from Tim Vine in a tick, but let's head up north to hear from Andy Hawthorne, OBE, a speaker, author and founder of the Message Trust, a Christian mission organisation based in Manchester that's been working for 25 years with young people in the area. His projects have been particularly directed at those who are traditionally hard to reach in prison or from the toughest communities. It's truly inspirational stuff. Andy, thanks for joining us. What inspired you to start the Message Trust? So, 19, that was 19... Well, mid-80s, actually, we had this big surge in turnover. Our theory is Lady Diana wore a pair of our braces. We used to make braces for ladies and sell them to all the chain stores. And I'd travel on the train down to London every week selling to them. And uh, Lady Diana wore a pair. And the next day, it was like every girl in Britain had to have a pair. And I'd run out of nice Christians to employ for my local church. And so I went to the local job centre. And our factory was in inner city Manchester, for no better reason than that's where we got the best grants and uh, so they realised there was a desperate business on the doorstep that would give anybody a job so they literally sent us anybody so we would get the lads straight out of young offender institutions some who'd never worked before strap them into a brace machine and go faster <laughs> and, uh, and they, they were a nightmare these lads absolute carnage and uh, violence and vandalism and graffiti all over our factory and and uh, and then the break-in started. So about three times a week, uh, wow. myself and my brother would get phone calls because the word got out there was this cool fashion accessories in Longsight. And we also used to embroider some jackets and all kinds of you know, gear for the fashion shops in Manchester. So, and there was a period when I'd be driving into work and it felt like every other lad on the A6 was wearing one of our jackets. I was going, oh, no, there's another one. Let's not kill him. And they knew they had been bought from the local retailers. You know, they'd been passed through the skylight the night before. So, yeah, so it was a fascinating little season. And once or twice you came out, it was very, very intimidating. You know, I'd come out at 3 o'clock in the morning and there'd be like, that street would just be full of people who would all gather around my car. And, uh, and it was really scary. 
And it was all those experiences that led myself and my brother to to be sat at Harrogate Fashion Fair one day in 1987 and say, we've got to do something. You know, the best, I think the best initiatives come from asking, people asking questions, you know, mm. why is this happening and what are we going to do about it? And so we came up with this arrogant, naive idea to book the biggest rock venue in Manchester for a week and organise the biggest youth mission Manchester ever seen and write to every church. And, and uh, amazingly enough, though, despite the fact we didn't know what we were doing, we didn't have the resources, the experience. God just blessed it so much, and that was that was message eighty eight. So born out of a bunch of young lads who were lives were totally chaotic, and and we were convinced the reason the lives were so bad was because nobody was telling about Christ in language they could understand. You know, there's that little cheeky verse in Psalm hundred nineteen where David says, "How can a young man keep his way pure?" And he answers his own question by saying, "By living according to your word." Well. It's a real sense that they're in long sight and now clearly all over thousands of estates in the UK. The young men whose lives are far from pure and the reason is they're not hearing God's word and living according to it. And so that's where the message really started. What was it like working with these lads? Were lives changed or was it flipping hard work day and night? Um one or two of them threatened to kill me, I remember that. So for about five years I was hiding in doorways, <laughs> walking in. <laughs> so I can't honestly say I can say any I, I do actually to be fair I do keep in touch with quite a few people who are employed but those really wildest ones I remember one lad called Colin and uh, at the end of his first week um, he came into my office in a rage says you robbed me you robbed me and he, I said why is that mate he said you said you were going to pay me whatever it was 60 quid a week and you've only paid me 48 I said, I'm so sorry, Colin. It's called, it's called tax and national insurance. It's the government <laughs> test of it. So at this point, the, this is the end of his first week of work, right? This massive guy, and uh, and at the, and the, fortunately, Howard, who was our our um, manager, used to run the shop floor, walked in and said, "You're right, Colin." So Colin turned and smacked him in the face. <laughs> and then me and Simon jumped on this big lad, and we were swinging around the office, hanging off Colin. With him threatening to kill us, he was like honestly, he was like Frank Bruno, this guy, and uh, so chinned my brother, and we were like, and then he, and then he walked out saying, "If I ever see you again, you're dead, right?" So occasionally, I would be in Manchester thinking, "I'm dead if I see Colin," and I'd see him because he was about a foot taller than everyone else on Market Street, and I'd be hiding in doorways. <laughs> so that's my uh, pioneer breakthrough oh, yeah. evangelistic story. What a beautiful story. And finally, Andy, what on earth made you want to continue working with these lads with all the hassle, confrontation and aggro? Well, I think I read my Bible and you can't get away if you read the Bible that Jesus has got a massive heart for the vulnerable and the marginalised and the broken. And there's been little there's been little moments over the years when just bits of the scriptures have just, I don't know, seared me, I guess. Sounds a bit cheesy, but that's mm. what happened. You know, you're like, wow. Just look at the way Jesus confronts, you know, gangsters and criminals and broken people and demonised people and just pours his love on them. And you can't get away from the fact that he's our role model and he spent an inordinate amount of people. Mm. And I, I, what I always say is there's two reasons we work in the toughest communities, in the prisons and the toughest schools. Firstly, it's God's heart. He's got a massive heart for the most broken. 
Second reason is it's a revival strategy. You know, our, our, we've, we're carrying some amazing revival promises at the message. But throughout the history of the church, all the way back to Jesus, revival was always bottom up. Mm. You know, it starts on the margins, starts with the unschooled ordinary, and then spills up and everyone gets blessed. Uh, God may do it differently. How does it feel personally to have played a part in the, the lives like that? Well, that's it. That's the best thing in the world. That's the only thing that you're going to take with you, isn't it? Yeah. People whose lives you've invested in. The only thing I've got to show in 100 years' time is people, isn't it? Donald Trump here, leader of the free world. Speaking of free, you're listening to the Man Up Podcast. In the latest bumper edition of Sorted magazine, big name exclusive interviews, Hollywood A-listers, TV adventurer Bear Grylls, inspirational true life stories, adrenaline-fueled sports features, all this plus gadgets, entertainment, motoring, movies and technology, plus probably the greatest team of Christian writers ever assembled. Available now from high street retailers nationwide or visit sortedmag.com. Sorted. For men. For life. So let's get back to Tim Vine, backstage at our favourite men's festival, The Gathering, as he gets ready to play darts. We talk about lucky breaks, get interrupted by head of security, Peter, and we also talk about the crafty Cockney. OK. Can you look back to a time in your career, Tim? Uh, one big lucky break, one big moment when you thought, yeah, I've cracked it now? Well, I've never th- I've never had that thought, the I've cracked it now thought, particularly. I kn- but I do you have... You are incredibly well-known these days, aren't you? Well, I suppose so, but I don't know incredibly well-known, but it's certainly more well-known than I used to be. But <clears throat> I do look back for now and feel lucky that that I've managed to do it for this length of time, actually, funny enough. That's the thing that I feel most blessed about, is that, well, you know, here I am, age 50, and... Uh, there still seems to be some demand for this nonsense. <laughs> yeah, it's nonsense. I agree. Um, but um, yeah, so there's, there's, there's that. But but I suppose there was a number of things for me. I mean, I, 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 I in '93 I, I came second in a thing called the Hackney Empire New Act of the Year uh, competition, and um, and for me that was quite a big deal at the time. And that was one of the these sort of things that meant that I then got offered the chance to support someone on a uh, called Boothby Graffo on a university tour and that was what then made me think well I'll give up my job in Croydon you know so that was the, the catalyst for that initially um, and you know quite I mean quite soon after that I was getting sort of uh, the odd television opportunity I mean I just I, I've been very very lucky with it really I, because it's not really any I mean it could easily have been quite different and it could have been a struggle but I, it just seems you know I've been very fortunate the way it's all sort of come to me, really. But and in terms of TV not going out, how did that happen? Was that well, not going out. I'd, yeah, I'd worked. I was friends with Lee, and we'd done the thing called the Sketch Show, which was an ITV show that Steve Coogan's company had. Sort of, they got five people together. Um, as Pat driving off there, yes. here. <laughs> souped up. He, car. he is going so ready enough. to play tonight. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we're, we're, having, we're having we're, Peter. Peter we're having recording. an interview. We're, Peter. Peter. We're a bit we're interviewing. Recording. We're recording. All right. Sorry, someone's can't. I mean, I do have this constant problem with groupies. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm playing darts later on. That's yes. probably what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He beat me, but anyway, that's not the point. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, what we're we talking about. I'm not going out yet. So, so it, it was on the, the, the sketch show thing, and um, incidentally, what time is, is it? Does the dart start at nine? I need to go soon. No, no, no uh, half past. 
You sure? Yeah, we'll, we'll be done two minutes. Right, yeah. No, make it five. five. I think I'm enjoying it. Um, <laughs> so we worked on that. Jockey Wilson. <laughs> when, when I first did the sketch show, um, I was sure in my mind that I only wanted to be in funny sketches where I was being funny. I didn't want... I was thinking to myself, I don't want to be the straight man. Da, da, da. But, you know, we were all sharing sketches, and so I thought, well, I'll, you know... I'll do it. And actually, it surprised me how much I enjoyed it. I'd never really done any acting before. I'd read a bit about acting, but I'd not had any training. And, uh, it's and just I, pretending, isn't it? It's just pretending, exactly, as, as Harrison Ford says. <laughs> I, I come from the Let's Pretend School of Acting. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I, it, it's surprising how much I actually enjoyed it. In actual fact, I found that I was being still being quite funny in the, in the straight roles. So there was that. And then what happened when Lee then came up with his thing, he was, he, I remember he rang me up and he said, look, we, we've been auditioning lots of different people for this role. He said, I don't know whether you'd be interested in it. And um, <clears throat> I said, well, I'll, I'll come in if you like. He said I couldn't. In, in his autobiography, Lee's got his autobiography, where he said that I couldn't have sounded more nonplussed about the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, all right, I'll come and read for it if you like. Um, and... Uh, Lee was always because there was a lot of jokes in his thing. He, he he wanted someone who could act a bit, but also who he could trust with a gag. And yeah. and actually, it was a, it was an interesting balancing act that because there were people who who were really really great actors, much better actors than I was. Um, but maybe they weren't so good with delivering a sort of one linery type joke. And then there are other people who who were very good at the one linery type jokes that he had in there, but maybe not so good at the. Um, uh, acting so you know as a classic middle child I was falling somewhere directly between yeah. the two stools and was kind of reasonable at both and so and he sort of knew me from the sketch show so that's how that came about and it's a very uh, long answer that wasn't it that's a good answer we were interrupted by <laughs> Peter halfway through it well been, you know uh, he's gone now Peter out <laughs> see what you did there <laughs> very good Tim you are something of a sporting um, go on what's the next sporting, bit sporting <laughs> uh What's the word I'm searching for? Loser. Trier. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Trier. <laughs> I don't know what I'm... I'm you're a sportsman. You're, <laughs> I'm a sportsman. You are. You've you mixed are me up with someone else. <laughs> you are, you're something of a darts player. I, I love darts. I play darts with you. We've been playing darts at... Yeah. I, I started playing darts at events, I don't know, 20 years ago, right. hosting late night shows. Yeah, yeah. Always after something funny that, and inclusive that people could do, mm. particularly guests on the shows. Mm. So you have big worship leaders, great preachers mm. from America who haven't understood a word of what's yeah. going on but just darts is such a leveller it really Anyone is yeah. play darts yeah well it certainly looks that way doesn't it um, yeah it's only, it's only that short distance away you have won a major darting competition no I haven't on, on you're TV. wrong about that well that wasn't a major darting competition that was, was a, on TV. a was on celebrity <laughs> comic relief thing where you're paired up with people who can play the game you won I did win it well Lee won the first year with comic relief and then yes. the next year I won the, the sport relief one yeah um, yeah, I mean, it was a thrill. That was another thing, really, that, that I pinched myself about, really, is, is you know, playing at the lakeside on television. Yeah, you know. Finley Green. Yeah, I mean, me and Lee, we're, we love our darts. Lee loves his darts as well. And we were just so thrilled to be there. Just, we couldn't believe it, you know. What are we doing? You know, we couldn't believe it. How was it, though? It was, it's completely... It's nerve-wracking. It's a totally different thing. I was going to say, because you're obviously used to being on stage and telling Yeah, but it's totally show. different. Yeah, totally different. So, in a way, you it's shake, back to... Were shaky? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly, actually, in the second year. I, I thought I played a lot better in the first year, even though I lost. Uh, but in the, in the second year, yeah, I, I didn't... Yeah, it was... It's, it's a weird thing. Very weird thing. Because what happens, you get up there and you suddenly think, hang on a minute, this board's further away, surely. Yeah. <laughs> it's smaller think, as well than, yeah, uh, yeah. than at home, isn't it? Exactly. Everything seems <laughs> everything seems to get sort of further away and smaller. Yeah. So, are your favourite so. dark player, past and present? 
Well, my favourite dart player past was definitely Eric Bristow. Um, and, you know, he's, he still... I met him recently, I played him actually, but and, and it is a thrill to meet someone who's an absolute hero of mine. Um, I mean, my two sporting heroes growing up were really Bristow and Gazza. And I haven't met Gazza yet, I'd love to meet Gazza. But, you know, they are complicated people, both of them, I think, probably. Oh, man. But, uh, but currently, um, I'd have to say two. I mean, I'd, I'm actually probably more. I mean, I'm just so impressed with dart players anyway that I think... I love the way Gary Anderson throws. I think it's like hummingbirds taken off from his hand. I don't know what he's doing there exactly. <laughs> they just seem to just have their own uh, propulsion. Um, and uh, and Phil the Power Taylor, obviously, yeah. is the greatest ever, legend. ever, ever, yeah. Um, and then, of course... Uh, you have to mention Van Gerwen because what the way he plays is probably the best we've ever seen. It's just whether or not he can keep that game for 16 titles or whether everyone's going to come up to his sort of standard. What know. is it about the Dutch? Why, yeah, I don't know why they're such a small is. country. Yeah. Why are they so good? I mean, I've been to pubs yeah, in, but you in could Holland say that, and there are dartboards everywhere, but yeah. you could argue they are in the UK. Yeah, well, I, I guess you could say the same thing about what, how come there's so many great uh, British players, you know. Mm. Because um, there's not, you know, so you think about places like China and America, they must be playing darts, but maybe they don't fancy the flight. I mean, I don't mean the. Oh, <laughs> oh there we are. Yeah, yeah. You are a genius. <laughs> that was accidental. <laughs> hey, this is Sylvester Stallone, and I play it tough. You're listening to the Sword and Man Up podcast. This is what we do. Well, that's about it for now. Hope you've enjoyed another podcast. A huge thank you to my special guests. It's always great fun to get together with my old mate, Tim Vine. He's such a funny guy. Totally clean and at the top of the tree in the world of comedy. Just goes to show you don't have to be rude to be funny and successful. And what can I say about Andy Hawthorne? It really is truly inspirational listening to him speak every single time. The guy and his teams are the real deal. And it's astonishing to hear about communities changing for good. Until next time, this is Steve Legg and friends on the Sorted Man Up podcast. Do encourage your mates to subscribe and download and share on Facebook and Twitter. Help us to get the word out. See ya. That was the Man Up podcast. They'll be back. You've been listening to the Man Up podcast from Sorted Magazine. Recorded, edited and delivered by flagshiprecording.com.